everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And I'm not nearly as cheap as described. Look at that rock on her finger. It's huge. She can barely hold her hand up. All right, so we have a great show today. She is James Beard nominated. She's the 2018 Rammy Chef of the Year, and she is Amy Brandwine, who is the celebrated executive Yay, chef Amy! and owner of Centralina and her new Osteria right across the way there at City Center, Piccolina. Thank Let's you. say it right, everybody. It's not Centralina, it's Centralina. Correct. Accidente alla Madonna, right? <laughs> All right. And speaking of Italians, Gabriele Poli is going to be on with us. He's the founder and president of the Gelato Festival. Who don't love gelati? Mm-hmm. I do. Uh, it's coming back to D.C. You don't uh, love it? No, that's a that's a double negative. Okay. Never mind. Back, okay, go ahead. Just leave me alone. All right. Uh, it's, it's, it starts on September 7th at City Market. It's co-hosted uh, by uh, Dolce Gelati. It's and I'm be... a judge. Oh, why, get why super didn't they judgy. ask me? Great. Why would they right? ask? I know. I get all the hard Why gigs. would they ask a, a tiny little person who Because was I have gonna... a palate. Nah, yes. not for gelato. That would be why. Anyways, all go right. Ahead. Uh, Colleen uh, Gillespie's back in with us. She's a GM at Boundary Stone. She's joined Yay, by Colleen! Sarah Jane Curran, who is is running the world at Marriott on their beverage program, right? Almost. No, it's pretty Sarah close. Jane. <laughs> uh, and they're in to talk about uh, both the sixth annual uh, DC Beer Week that's coming up and the Battle of the Barrel Age yeah, Beer. Yeah, more so about Battle uh, Age Beers. Oh my God. Well, you're just it's like forever. traveling with my own editor mm-hmm. uh, at Boundary Stone. Mm-hmm. And finally, the boys from Olivia are here. Uh, Tim Hayes, a beverage director. And uh, Eduardo Acabel, who's a bartender there, and we're going to be talking gin and tonic. Because they've launched a whole gin and tonic initiative there, which I'm very excited about. That is true. And okay, first, but first. We're going to go to Mitch Berliner at Central Farm Markets because it happens to be a gorgeous day with low humidity, and I'll bet the people are out at the markets. What do you got going on at the markets, Mitch? you got to walk sideways. <laughs> <laughs> it's it crowded. It's well, crowded I've lost at so the much market. weight, I can walk sideways now. <laughs> Oh, well, good, good. I, I hope that wasn't due to your injury. No. But uh, anyway, um, well, it's a beautiful day, and if you don't mind me bragging here, mm-hmm. um, just uh, about a month or so ago, Virginia Magazine voted uh, Central Farm Markets the best farm markets in all of the entire region out of 200. That's amazing. And yesterday, oh. Bethesda Magazine just hit the streets and did a 10-page a day in the Bethesda Central Farm Market. Uh, so you guys should go out. Ten and get pages the Bethesda in Bethesda Central Magazine. Farm. That's pretty good. Ten That's amazing, Mitch. Congratulations. Yeah. That's very yes. exciting. Was, I mean, we've had a lot of nice write-ups in my various careers, mm-hmm. just by far, by Carol Sugarman, who's really I was ask who wrote very it. detailed. Carol's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Carol's terrific. She's been in the Post. And uh, it was just a very wonderful from setup to, like, uh, us pushing – three pallets of uh, produce on the Manor truck at the 2.30. All right, well, everybody should pick up that Bethesda magazine and check out the article on Central Farm Markets. Mitch, tell us what we can find at Market today. Any specialties? Um, Well, believe it or not, we had. They're already gone, but we'll have more and more figs, the first figs of the season. Oh, wow. That seems early. Yes, and um, they went very quickly. There'll be more each week. Another Mm -hmm. nice thing 
is that uh, Twin Springs has made a real effort. They're at all four markets uh, to grow uh, table grapes. We all know that there's a budding wine industry in the Mm mid-Atlantic, but uh, they've planted three different varieties, a white, a purple, and a a dark blue, and they are fantastic. Wait, there's such thing as a dark um, blue grape? Yeah, it's a grape grape. Yeah, it's like a like a grape grape. It's a grape and, color um, grape. So, well, I I do have yeah, grape, grape expectations. But I'm bummed. Thank you. But I'm bummed. Thank you. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, these but grapes the way, these grapes have seeds, right? Too. You know, I think we're um, um, Americans are so like and some don't. spoiled. Well, he said some do and some uh, no, don't. No, no, some some do and some don't mm-hmm. actually. As far as the grapes, the white grapes that I tasted and bought this morning um, do not have um, the uh, seeds in them. And so I think one of the three varieties do. And, of course, we've got live music at all our, four of our markets. We have a distillery here today. We have a nonprofit. We're hosting St. Jude's um, Hospital um, today. We always try to, you know, help with that. We have Jonathan Borsdak, our uh, chef uh, demo guy, who's terrific. Um, so it's, we've got everything going on here today. Lots of oh, – we've got Pluot. This is the first I've seen them oh, in the season. A Pluot is, mm-hmm. um, is at all four Toygo locations at all four of our. All and right. that's a, for your people that don't know, that's a cross between an apricot and a plum. It's a crossbreed. Cool. So, um, all right, so save me a bag of, of those. I stuff. love them. You got it. All they right, Mitch. Uh, look, make sure everybody knows so, where all the markets are. All right. So very quickly, folks, we have two Saturday markets. Uh, Westfield Montgomery on Saturday. And Pike and Rose and the parking lot of the REI on Sundays. We're in Nova Market at the parking lot of the George Marshall High School, right a stone throw away from Tyson's Corner. And our flagship original market in Bethesda and the Bethesda Elementary School parking lot. CentralFarmMarkets.com for me. All right. Thanks Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Thank you, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Let's talk to the boys from Olivia. Hi, Tim. Come on, Tim. Step up to that microphone for a second. So, Tim, Tim, tell us a little bit about Olivia and sort of the feel of the restaurant. Um, So Olivia is one of the nine restaurants that uh, restaurateur Ashok Bajaj owns um, in the Knightsbridge Restaurant Group. Uh, We are located – we were formerly Nopa Kitchen and Bar. Mm -hmm. We have – In the old Zola space. Yeah, I mean, you were formerly formerly Zola. Right. Right. So we've since closed, renovated, opened, and changed our concept. Same chef, same owner, same staff. So what's the concept? Uh, Modern Mediterranean. You've been Uh, there. I'm asking because maybe our listeners No, I know. I'm just reminding you. And it's Um, delicious. mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, Best restroom doors ever, right? right. That swinging thing. I don't know how you figured that out. Uh Yeah. That door that pops open. So, yeah, we um, (laughs) – you know – Working with Chef, I mm-hmm. kind of geared the beverage program around his ingredients and his concepts. So the wine program, the cocktail program, um, local beers, uh, what have you. So, so, so what's, what's the fascination with gin and tonic? Because well, this happened when – so Chef uh, gets to fly to Spain and do his – background research and uh, he you and know, you don't get to go we're I trying it. to keep it as authentic as we can and mm-hmm. he's like gin and tonics are crazy over there so gin and tonics are crazy over there it's very true that's right. like the spanish so, national drink mm-hmm. right so um i put some research in and you know found some mediterranean uh, geared 
gins. Mm -hmm. Got to look at the microphone. Yeah, you gotta, I know it's hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, and then we've also made our house tonic. Mm -hmm. And then we've had have some marketed um, tonics as well. Yes. Well, there's a lot of really good tonics out there. Right. You know, like 15 years ago, you really didn't have a lot of options when it right. came to and tonic. And 15 years ago, you didn't really have a lot of gin. That's also true. Uh, it, so why don't we talk about which uh, gin and tonic you're going to make first and maybe sure. tell us a little bit about that gin and tonic and why you picked that sure. combo. Sure. So... Um, the first gin is G-Vine. It's out of France. Uh, it is made with um, – so they're ba basically taking grape must and then they're also using the grape flowers mm -hmm. and they're distilling that. So it's going to be a little sweeter, um, less juniper-based, but uh, it's a really, really awesome gin. Um, so we're going to be pairing that with uh, an elderflower tonic. Oh, excellent! Good. All right, so floral and floral—you know the bridging ingredients there. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's really, really a neat combination. Cool. But Bring it on. Any of these combinations you can do. Um, so what have you? Great. There's, All right. Well, you'll right, be back on the on. show a couple of times. We'll find out more about them. Let's talk to Amy Branwell. Hi, Amy. Who was nice Hi. enough. I think you just went to bed about two hours ago. Now you're back in here with us. <laughs> Why are you saying that to well, her? Because chefs stay up late. <laughs> I don't. On Saturday right. She's like, I went to bed. I'm well rested. Uh, good girl. So let's talk a little bit about because I first I I think the first thing I knew of you was you were working for Roberto Donna, weren't you? Yes. That's Many we moons met. ago, mm -hmm. and of course. Life is much different now. Talk a little bit about how you got to where you are, because it, it wasn't magic. It was hard work. Um, yeah, I you know I started out uh, like everybody else as a cook and um, worked my way up to sous chef and executive chef, and um, then got hired to open many restaurants for a few different people, um, and uh, you know found myself you know, very marketable and, and talented for those skills. So um, eventually, you know, I, I, some of these restaurants closed and I just said, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm really good at this, but this is not working out for me so well. So personally, so um, I ended up uh, trying to start my own company and, um, you know, being able to open my first restaurant. Yeah, but that makes it sound so easy. I mean, not only was Centralino your first restaurant, but you opened up in city center, which is the high rent district. Yeah. Were you, did you stay up nights? <laughs> um, no, I mean, it was really hard. I, I had to fundraise for about three years solid, and I barely made it. Um, well, not only that, I mean, as you know, there's not a lot of women chef restaurateurs in this city right. because the access just isn't there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a self-perpetuating situation. I think it's going to change shortly, but, you know, where there's not too many women chefs, women chefs really aren't respected, women chefs don't get the rave reviews that the other guys do, and then it becomes harder to get people to believe in you that you can – um, be successful, so that it's harder for women chefs to get their own restaurants. You know, because I, you can't get the money. Because you can't get the money. Right. So the money goes to the press, which goes with the accolades. You know, it, and if you're going to try to pretend that doesn't exist, then you're just in la la land, to be quite sure. honest. So, but things are changing. So I well, have to say you, it's all positive for don't me. Don't you also feel that the women who are in this city right now, the Jamie Leeds, the Ruth Gressers, you, I mean, there's uh, this you know, and a whole younger crew of women, you're, everybody's sort of supporting each other and rising mm -hmm. up. There's a lot of support as opposed to competition with one another. Yeah, I mean, I think there's tons of talent and there's no need to, to feel threatened by anybody else. We all we all uh, should support each other's uh, efforts and, and causes. And, um, you know, I don't know, they're fabulous. They're all talented. And, um, you know, the, the thing is you have to support it and talk about it because... 
you know, without that, uh, you know, it may go back to the way it was, and we don't want that. No, obviously. But so let's talk. So when you opened up Centralina, you know, you opened up this Centralina, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this white, bright space. I mean, so aesthetically different than what we were seeing around the city at that time. Um, Thank you for recognizing that. I really appreciate that. I mean, hello. Have we met? Um, So... um, but you had a marketplace in there, so you could go and get a cup of coffee and some fabulous baked goods and a little to-go sort of thing, like fresh fish, like whatever you were serving, you could get. But now you've opened up something across the street, so or across the little alleyway. So explain how Piccolina and Centralina, because they're right across from each other, like work together. Um, yeah. So essentially, um, we found so much demand for the you know ready-to-eat products that when the space became available, I decided to do that in a more accessible way and in a, in a more of a restauranty way, if you will. So uh, we we do really fast, casual um, dishes. And so when people are looking to um, have a more uh, upscale meal, they come to Chantralina. When they're looking to cook for themselves at home, they come to Chantralina Market. Mm-hmm. And then when they don't feel like cooking, um, either for themselves or somebody else, then they come to Picolina. So it really serves three different um, rest, you know, three different needs, and it works pretty well. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, let's talk about the kinds of how it's so how it really is different. The sort of things you're serving there. We can talk about what you brought in today, um, and we'll get in sort of the experience. Okay. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. I'm going to dig into a crostata in just a sec. I'll be back. We're back on Foodie and the Jeez. Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. You take mm-hmm. over. Okay, I'll cough. take over since David is coughing. Anyway. We're in studio. We're talking <coughs> gin and tonics, and we have Amy Brandwine, who just launched her Piccolina uh, in the city center. And Amy, we were talking before we took a break. Tell me a little bit. So, Centralina, you're considering more your fine dining, upscale uh, place where people can go for lunch and for dinner. But now, Piccolina, which is where the uh, rare suites used to be, but you totally changed the look of the space. What can people look to find there? Because it's not just a you can sit and eat there. You can also take things to go. Let's talk about the, the menu and the kinds of things you're serving. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what type of space it is, it's really like a cafe. So there's mm-hmm. seating for 20 inside and and uh, and uh, 14 outside, which is bigger than some restaurants in, in Washington. So I guess I consider it a restaurant, a little mm-hmm. baby restaurant. Um, and in terms of what we're serving, um, it's really all um, about handcrafted dough um, and bread. So when I say bread, I don't mean that we're we're a uh, we're a bakery. What I mean is that we are working with and creating a whole bunch of different doughs. So like a flatbreads, uh, cardi musica, sartini sheet music, um, you know, this crostata, or we're making panuzzos, which are puffed up uh, kind of pizza dough sandwiches. So uh, focaccia reca, which is like a Ligurian, like gooey, you know, focaccia. And then a lot of salads. And, and um, I have a particular love of eggs. So it's, it's all day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you can have a beautiful egg on brioche um, Wait, at what, any what's time the thing you do where you bake the egg inside? Oh, that's the, <laughs> that's the, oh my gosh, I just forgot the name. It's uh, egg muffin. It's like a, uh, it's, it's so like good. Egg, egg McMuffin. No, right. no, well, no, it. it is not. It's a, uh, it is like an egg baked in a biscuit. Yeah, it's a biscuit basically with an egg baked into it. It is the most I know. ridiculous thing. I know. It's but can really we talk good. a little, because I asked you about this during the break, about, about 
sourcing because I mean I made I was making a joke. You're not stopping at Safeway to pick up eggs. No. So where does all, because, not that we have a problem with Safeway. Be, no, we love Safeway and <laughs> I mean, they should I don't love they them, should but I'm sponsor saying, the show. You know, right. But having I would said love that, them if they sponsored the show. Having we love you, Safeway. Uh-huh. I'm giant. But the point is, you're you're going the extra mile on on your ingredients. Yeah, I mean, even for picolino, we serve like right now we're in the we're we're kind of at the end of summer, but like all these beautiful tomatoes are available. They all come from, you know, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, or they come from Virginia. Um, we we have a farm we work with in Washington D.C. itself. So you know, we really like you know, I guess walk the walk, talk to talk, and and uh, get all of our ingredients um, from local farms, and that means that they are at you know the height of quality. I mean, a zucchini from a local farm that's been you know grown in certain conditions tastes completely different than one you might get from that has traveled half the world that ends up at Safeway, mm-hmm. and those things actually make a difference when you're cooking. With simplistic, um, you know, approach. All well, that stuff you're matters. Cooking in Italians, you're cooking Italian food, and Italians really believe in letting the product shine. Right, right. And that's like, what I believe. It doesn't in. need a lot of. Doesn't need a lot of junk. Right. In order to make that happen. Right. Um, so if I was going into Piccolina for lunch, mm-hmm. what would you be like? Here's what you got to have. Oh well, I know. I know. I'm not asking you to pick your children. I'm just asking. I do. I do love this avocado and cartoon music. It's a puffed up uh, piece of flatbread, and it cracks and blisters. And then we make an avocado and tomato salad, um, which I'm really partial to because I don't really cook with avocados very much. But Picolinas let me kind of play around a little bit. So, but do people eat avocados in Italy? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. And you know what? It really got the idea for this when I was in Ethiopia because for breakfast they eat avocado and tomato for breakfast. And I thought, God, I think this would be popular where I live. You yeah, know, so do we. yeah. Right. So everybody loves avocado, but nobody really thinks of eating it as like a little salad in the morning. So um, we put a fried egg on it, um, sunny side fried egg, and um, that's one of the things I really love: the panuzzo, the pork shoulder. Actually, not not shoulder. It's um, porchetta, but. Um, I don't really care for pork, but I love the sandwich. It's okay. like I crave it, actually, with a glass of, like, frappato. So we do have wine there, um, and it's a very small list of, like, five different wines. But um, I think that's one of the um, other things is that it can be, like, that morning cafe and also have, like, a spritz or have a casual dinner. And, you know, you can eat really well without, you know, spending a ton of money or if you don't have a lot I mean, of time. If, if you're not out there listening to this and salivating, there's something wrong with you. Well, I ate the whole <laughs> crostata, so there's that. All right. Well, let's make sure that everybody knows where Centralina, not Centralina, but Centralina mm-hmm. and, and Picolina are. You want me to tell them? I want yeah. you to tell oh, them. Oh, okay. So we're on Palmer Alley, uh, right across from each other, and that is uh, at City Center, um, 10th and I, uh, Northwest. Um, just come find us. Mm-hmm. That's all good food. All right, Amy, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. All for right, let's that go in. back to uh, the Olivia Gin and Tonic boys. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Tim, this is very good. I'm not a. I like gin and tonics, but but the, you know when when it's when the gin has a heavy juniper right. kind of aftertaste, it, it's well, not that's, my thing. This um, is really so good. your modern gins nowadays with the um, distillation craze. Um, so y- your London dries are more juniper based, but your modern gins are going to have. Local botanicals, and they're more floral, right? Uh, like there's well, a totally different not necessarily sense. some. Uh, so the floraison from G Vine is mm-hmm. definitely more floral because right. it's using grape flowers. 
Uh, we'll go into just one sole botanical in the, in the next gen, which is the wild sardinia, which is just wild juniper. Okay. Then we're going to go into an Italian that focuses on five botanicals, and then we'll finish with uh, ginmar, which is from Spain, um, which is a very um, savory gin. They're using olives and, um, yeah, basil, rosemary. Cool. And that's going to be with our house. Okay, so which one are you going to make next? So next we will do the wild sardinia. So this is just one botanical, which is juniper. Mm -hmm. So. Um, and then what kind of tonic are you putting with we're it? We're going to do, so it needs, it's a really strong kind of potent gin. So mm -hmm. we're going to cut it with a cucumber tonic. Oh, oh neat. Yeah. So, okay, great. Yeah. All right, well, while you're doing that, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk Gelato Fest. We can't wait. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And if you listen to this show, you know that things Italian are my favorite and that I lived in Italy for a while. We've got a gentleman on the phone, Gabriele Poli, who is the founder and leader of the Gelato Festival, which is going global here. Uh, Gabriele, are you there? Yeah, good morning. Uh, good, morning. good morning. So it describes you in your bio as a Tuscan entrepreneur. Tell me that you're from Firenze. Exactly. Oh that my God! My All right. All right. You just won my heart. <laughs> so, so are you, were you in the gelato business when you started the gelato festival, or because everybody goes to Florence for gelato, you just said, "Hey, this is a great idea." Yeah. Uh, the reality is that uh, I'm a gelato lover since I was a kid, yeah. and uh, one day I discovered that tradition attributes the invention of the of gelato to a Florentine guy, uh, Bernardo Montalenti is the name, that in 1559 at the Medici's court, he invented the first recipe of gelato ever. And uh, I thought that this was such a great thing that I, I had to dedicate uh, a festival to this. And this is how the gelato festival was born in 2010. And then it grew up and it became a worldwide competition for gelato chefs and international festivals. So how did you, when you originally started, were you just looking for gelato makers to all come together originally just from Italy? Because there's been a huge change around the world with gelato. You know, it used to just be you went to Italy and then it was gelato and then you can get it in France and then you can get it in Europe and now you can get it in the States and you can get it in South America. So everybody sort of has their sort of take well, on are gelato. Well, they're purists too who only well, want it from Italy. Right. Yeah, so... Um, that's a good point. Uh, gelato, I think, is uh, is a move uh, is a movement of of people passionate with uh, with uh, with their product, and uh, there are artisans all over the world. Uh, uh, most most of them they have Italian origins. This is true. Um, when we travel with the festival, we see a lot of chefs. I think about one one thousand gelato chefs compete every year in our network. Uh, and most of them uh, have Italian origins. So, yeah, we can say that gelato is really an art uh, that is belonging to Italian tradition, but today is a worldwide culture and, uh, and knowledge. So um, our goal, uh, we are like the Olympics of gelato, <laughs> and our goal yeah, is every four years uh, to uh, select the best 36 gelato chefs from all over the world and bring them to Italy to compete in a worldwide final to 
uh, find the best war master of gelato. Well, talk a little so, bit about. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, but uh, you know, for yeah, people yeah. that don't understand the difference between gelato and like American ice cream, when you go into an ice cream parlor here, what are the subtle differences? Yeah, so uh, the, the the main difference is fat. Um, gelato, uh, the fat is between five and ten percent. Uh, ice cream is between 15 up to 25%. So in uh, ice cream, uh, um, one of, of the ingredients is butter fat. Uh, in gelato, uh, you only use milk and cream. Of course, in the dairy one, then you have the sorbet that is no dairy. Mm-hmm. Well, so- um, but isn't there a big difference the- in the air and how the air is incorporated? Yeah, the se- the second main different um, difference is is about air. So the 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 ice cream in the process uh, of the production uh, incorporates more uh, air than what gelato does, and uh, um, it, it it is maintained for this reason at a very lower temperature than gelato. So um, this means that ice cream uh, it's harder. Um, you can maintain it at a higher uh, temperature, at, at a lower temperature, sorry. And the gelato is the opposite. It's very creamier and, and also has a shelf life that is uh, very short. Think about two days maximum for gelato from the production. And, and then or you sell it or you throw it. So it's, it's a very fresh uh, and uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, short shelf life product. All right. So, so when you do these festivals, like you're coming here to DC in two weeks, what can people expect to see? And how does it like? How does it work? How do people sign up for it? How do gelato makers get into it? And and how can people uh, partake? Yeah. So um, we're coming to DC again. It's the second year. Uh, we had a, such a great time last year. Even if the weather was not so good, the mm-hmm. festival uh, did great, and um, we really expect. Uh, uh, fantastic festival for the second year. Uh, we are at, uh, the festival will be at City Market at O, uh, and uh, the entire street is uh, is closed. Uh, and uh, it's a free entrance basically. Uh, but to do all the activity, all the tasting, and uh, participate, uh, voting the best chef of the Washington D.C. stage, you need to purchase a ticket. Uh, which now is uh, um, is uh, online uh, purchasable with a discounted price in pre-selling and uh, will be also available at the gate during Saturday and Sunday, 7th and 8th. Um, with this ticket, you have like a sort of all-you-can-eat, all-inclusive experience, uh, tasting all the gelato you want uh, from the 12 chefs competing and from many other, like 30, 40 other different flavors that our partners are bringing. And uh, you have the chance to attend uh, all the um, classroom activities. There is some fun, like the eating contest, the kids' jury. <laughs> we have some uh, famous gelato masters that will um, do like 45 minutes, one hour of uh, explanation in how to make gelato. They will uh, do gelato live and make people taste it. And, um, and then, yeah, you can vote your favorite. And it's very important, this part, because... All the chefs that are participating, they are participating to have the chance to win and represent the United States at the worldwide final. And so at the end of your tasting, you have a QR code, you can vote, and the 50% of the power goes to the general public 
the 60% to a technical jury of experts that will uh, will be there on Saturday morning. So yes. tell us about the World Masters competition in Italy. Where is that held? I assume it's in Florence. I'm guessing. So it's it, it's not confirmed 100% yet. Uh, we are now in the phase that we are uh, deciding where because it's a massive event. We will have people from all over the world. So we need to uh, evaluate many different uh, aspects, even logistics. Uh, all right. I nominate, uh, sure. I nominate Piazza Signoria. That's my... <laughs> you're right. That will be a very good spot. That would be great. And then you're opening a, a gelato... Are you opening a gelato festival store in West Hollywood? Yeah, so this is a new thing. Um, it's a new thing. We will open tomorrow. Uh, and um, Gelato Festival, this year is the 10th anniversary. And uh, we think that in these 10 years, we, we, we were able really to create a big network of chefs, of people passionate with gelato and many uh, fantastic uh, brand new recipes that the chefs create for partic- to participate and to compete. So uh, we thought that we had to uh, build a house, a permanent house to all this experience. Uh, and uh, we decided to do it in, in West Hollywood, uh, Melrose Avenue, uh, 8906. We will open tomorrow. It's like a sort of a gelato wonderland. Uh, it's a 3000 square feet where we are bringing all the experience of Gelato Festival. So, so is wait, is this a pop-up or is it a permanent a permanent location? It's a permanent location. The, the goal of this location is basically to uh, like give value all the year long to what Gelato Festival uh, does touring the, the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, uh, I like to, to, to describe it as a sort of, the, the the worldwide house of gelato chefs. Well, you know, uh, we will send. Well, I, I was just going to say we're in Washington, and I think Florence is about 150 miles closer than West Hollywood, <laughs> California. So <laughs> our choice is made. David's going to we're Florence. going to Italy, baby. Right. Um, all right, let's let's do uh, Gabriele. Unfortunately, we have to close up, but uh, make sure everybody knows how to get tickets. The event is September 7th to the the 8th at City Market. But how do we get tickets? Yeah, so to get tickets, uh, uh, gelatofestival.com, Washington, D.C. stage. You can find all the infos there. You can purchase your tickets. It's $10 now for kids. Uh, It's $20 for uh, senior and veterans, and it's $25 for adults. It's an all-you-can-eat experience, uh, and, uh, yeah, you just buy it now, and you, you come to the festival to redeem your ticket. Uh, the time of each day is uh, between 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., Saturday and Sunday, September 7th and 8th at City Market at Oak. My God, it is the gelato lover's dream event. And I'm judging period. it. Woo-hoo. Oh, are you a, that's right. You're a judge. <laughs> yes. Mickey's a judge. It's yeah, so wrong. Because I'm super judgy. Yeah, I know. You are super judgy, but you picked the wrong. Uh, you should have picked the gelato glutton, which I am. And there it is. <laughs> okay. All right, Gabriele, thanks Thank so you. much. Everybody you, you are, go to the gelato. Sorry? You're officially invited. You're, okay. you're He's officially always invited. invited. I, I'm, I'm officially coming. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. That's I'll fantastic. see you there. Take Ciao. care. Thank you. Oh, that sounds Thank like you. so much Thank fun. It does sound like fun. All right. Grazie mille. Okay. Let's go back to the Olivia boys. Okay. So, Tim, what did you just pour us? Uh, okay. So, uh, on the Italian theme, uh, so this is the 
Piucinque, which uh, Piucinque means more pi- than five. Well, of, of five, um, but it's no, five. Pew means more than. Mm-hmm. More than? No, oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, That's all right. Okay. Well, I hey, I, I get I get educated every day. Mm. So. That's None right. of us understand. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, but there's five botanicals involved with this one. Okay. Juniper, um, bourgeois, salvia, wormwood, and ginger. Mm. Um, salvia is in the mint family. Okay. Um, so a little bit more complex. Well, it's um, really interesting because the cucumber one is super refreshing, yeah. right? Is like this it's of like, your own invention or – well, that's, well he's it's, talking about these are one. the best combinations that I have come up with. But I mean, it's it's all arbitrary. I mean, you can you can come up with your own. And um, gin is a very um, versatile um, spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, but that's the question. Do you sit back there and sort of uh, you know play chemist and then go to the chef and say, "Is this going to work with what's on the menu? How do you feel about it?" Is this it a was a little bit more fun. Uh, so the cocktail program itself is a little bit more geared towards the food. Um, this, however, is just something that we've done. That's kind of a, it's really a little, cool. Little uh, off tangent, but um, it's a, you know it's. Something well, that I we're think promoting. Well, nice in- when you're tasting gin and to- like a variety of gin and tonics. I think most people in their head think, "Oh, a gin and tonic is a gin and tonic." Right. Right. There's not a lot of of a difference that you're going to taste or mouthfeel that you're going to get. Right. And all three of these are incredibly, incredibly different. The one you just mm-hmm. poured is actually it actually has a even though there's just as much ice as it in it right. as the other drinks, uh-huh. it actually has a real warming. It's like a warmer drink. Yeah. Does that make sense? So they, they're, they're getting more and more complex, and there's mm-hmm. a lot more going on. With, with We started off light, and then we're going to go at this. So the, the last one is the, probably the most savory. Cool. All right. Um, well, while yeah. you get to that, okay, we are going to talk about barrel-aged beer and why it's a thing and why there's a battle that's coming up. Why is there a battle? Why? So, <laughs> Colleen why battle Gillespie's about it? here. She's the GM at uh, World Famous Boundary Stone. World Famous. World Famous. Oh, man. Yes, of course it is. And, and let's, Sarah let's, Jane, you didn't introduce Sarah, uh, Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane Curran. Curran. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, my God. Of Marriott <laughs> fame is here as well. Um, and Beer Me. Oh, that's right. You got your your, your, she has your own podcast. podcast. That's podcast. right. We're buddies at Full Service Radio. We are right. buddies. Recorded live at the Lion Except Hotel. I'm always, that's right. I'm always on bailing Mondays, on that. On <laughs> um, so, but let's first just kind of start with the theme of DC Beer Week. I mean, t- ten years ago, fifteen years ago, there was nobody making beer in DC, and now all of a not sudden, not ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, really, like fifteen years ago. Yeah, ten years ago, we had a so, show and we had people. Ten years ago beer is when Dave and and Mike McGarvey were just starting and all mm-hmm. that. It was really fresh. Right, everyone's in their eight, seven to eight year yeah. year mark. Um, and now you have a whole industry. And now we have a whole industry. Yeah, we get our own week. Which well, is incredible. Right. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Well, right. so let's talk about so, but we have always been a part, like DC Beer Week, like kind of launched on Foodie and the Beast when it first started. And we brought in like a whole crew of people. This is when like Teddy Folkman was still involved. Like we had like a crew in, and it went from being like an event a day to multiple events. So you could drink every a day, lot of beer. Yeah. Kind of all around the city. So what does DC Beer Week look like this year? And then let's let's talk about what you guys are doing at Boundary Stone. Sure. DC Beer Week uh, this year, I think, is really just honing in on DC breweries itself. And there are so many different bars and restaurants that really highlight local. Mm -hmm. And some are only local. They only want anything in the DMV. 
um, which has become super exciting because it's only been, I think, in the past five years that they can actually accomplish that, um, to have a full draft lineup of local beers. So I rest my case. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, checks in the mail. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is just kind of, I think, in the recent years, and definitely in the past three years, I'd say four years, it's really exciting to bring what the D.C. beer community has really accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just celebrating that is is well, the I mean, focus now of this week. Well, there's a D.C. Brewers Guild, and yeah. there's a whole, I mean, they're organized, and there's, I mean, there must be 14 or 15 brewers just in D.C., correct? Yeah, yeah. So, but, so at Boundary Stone, you guys are doing a huge event, and it's on aged beers. Yes. So, what does that even mean? So this is our sixth our sixth year doing it, mm-hmm. um, and it's you each each year has a different theme, a different um, different qualifications, okay, um, different guidelines, and so but it always has to be aged in a barrel. So when you put a beer into a barrel, you're just elevating the nuances of that beer, and you're really oh, taking it to okay. a different level. Let's back up sure. for people who don't know. Sure, sorry. Beer. Is produced how? It doesn't go in a barrel? Like, for people who don't know, like, how beer is produced. Why don't you take this one? <laughs> Come on, Sarah. Sarah Jane. Uh, so, basically, I mean, we could walk through it very, very step by step. But what you're doing is you're taking a grain, typically barley. Mm-hmm. Um, you're introducing yeast. That yeast uh, is eating the sugars and producing uh, CO2, alcohol, and esters. That's where you're getting aromas and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically when you're barrel aging, or at least in this instance, you're taking a, a fully fermented beer and you're putting it into a barrel. And that barrel is going to impart flavor, uh, depending on the kind of barrel you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, let's talk about that. Like, okay. what, what kind of ba- what? Uh, where do these barrels come from? They're not brand so, new barrels. No. I guess they could be. They could, but, but. Um, so, you know, it started with uh, bourbon barrels. Um, well, because like I was thinking of like whiskey barrels, bourbon barrels. Like there's a char on some of them, absolutely. right? So and they, they really soak in yeah. the flavor of that spirit. And they've, with bourbon barrels, they can only use them once. So you have this. They're so strict. So strict. Yes, so strict with those over there with that bourbon. So, <laughs> so you you can you know you've got all this all these barrels that need to be used. But if you're using a bourbon barrel, it's going to impart different flavors than if you're using a Chardonnay barrel. Mm-hmm. I have a dumb question. What happens if you use a bourbon barrel twice? What happens to the bourbon? You're not imparting the same uh, level of flavor and char. Um, the more times you use a barrel, the more mild the flavors are. Like So for me personally, as far as like my wine taste goes, I like wine that's aged in older barrels because the oak the, flavor is less, more mellow. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Whereas some people like new oak where it's super fresh, super in your face. Like, ooh. Who likes new oak? There's some, there are people They're out, out there. there. I know there's a market. They're out no, there. I mean, Don't I know serve a it to Nikki Nellis because right. you will hear from her. My God. It makes my back of my throat hurt just thinking about okay, it. Okay, so what, the, I mean, the, I mean, whiskey barrels, bourbon barrels. Mm-hmm. So who's going to be competing? Yeah. Who's? Uh, so we have, we actually upped it to six breweries this year. We six. have always done five. Yeah. Is it luck. because oh. there are more people creating aged beers? Yeah, or? and I think it was just really... Just expanding because, you know, we've had the same five breweries, but they're not the same. They're not the only breweries in the city anymore. So it's really inviting our friends 
to step up. To step up. Oh, wait, who's we're going to take, we're going to, she's like, wait, who? I don't know. <laughs> who's this new person? <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. When you, we come back, why don't you tell us who's competing and what you're looking forward to seeing. And Sarah Jane, you're judging, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to hear about the complexities of that and what that means. Because you're not just shoving your face with um, gelato like some people do when they're judging a competition. You're so mean. But there is a different <laughs> thing going on here. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We're talking about H beers. We'll be back in a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Before we get back to the show, I just want to thank our beloved sponsors, the folks at ProFish, best sustainable seafood in the world. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, The market at River Falls, uh, Central Farm Markets, Meat Crafters, thanks for supporting the show. Uh, Who did I leave out? I don't know. I don't know. I I left somebody out. But anyways, thank you all. All right, so let's get back and talk about uh, the competition uh, okay, so and, who's competing? Well, wait a minute. Let's say that last year's champions are my boys, Dave Coleman and Mike McGarvey. Three stars. Three stars. I yeah. love those guys. Uh, but they're they're up some against some serious competition here. They are. Yeah. So it's Atlas Brewing, DC Brow, Port City, Rye Proper, and the new addition is Hellbender. 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 Okay. Yes. Where is Hellbender based out of? It is in DC. It's, it's um, by Three Stars. Like the the Maryland, yeah. Okay, the border. So what, Sarah Jane? You're one of the judges. Mm -hmm. So how do you judge the complexities of barrel aged beer? So you know, you kind of take in the entire thing. You look at sight, smell, taste, um, and you know, I like to kind of focus on if. I don't like it when the alcohol is too overpowering. You know what I mean? I don't want to just taste that. I don't want to just taste the barrel. I want it to be these different notes, these different flavor notes that are working harmoniously together. But how do you ju- how do you take what you want mm-hmm. versus what they present? So if somebody says, this is my, like, let's take one of Three Stars beers, like mm-hmm. pick one of their beers. And they say, this is the beer I have chosen to age. So they take a beer that you are familiar with, I assume. So their peppercorn, their pink peppercorn saison. Perfect. So yeah. let's say they take that saison. And they age it in a Chardonnay barrel. And they, so you already know what that beer tastes like, mm-hmm. unaged. Mm-hmm. So you know what you're, what How you much beer be... do you drink is the question. She's an expert. She drinks <laughs> so, a lot of beer. Yes, I'm wearing very stretchy she jeans. Is. <laughs> this is what this woman does for a living. I so, take it intravenously. How do you how do you take what you want to taste versus what they're trying to do? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. how do you figure that out? So I I still want to taste remnants of that beer. Mm-hmm. I don't want the barrel to completely overpower it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I want a different version of that beer. But I, I don't want, you know, let's say, like I said, let's say they put it in Chardonnay barrel. I don't want to just taste pure butter, butter. and oak. Mm-hmm. I want remnants of that to come through. I want, you know, to still have a little bit of that pink peppercorn. Um, but I want it to be something new, something different. And but, how long do they age it? Is there a requirement? At least three yes. months. At least three months. So what should be typical for an aged beer? I mean, it varies depending on the style. Okay. Um, you have some beers that are, you know, aged over a year. Um, Is there a maximum? Like, how long can beer last in a... Does it have an ex- expiration date? No, I mm-hmm. mean, if you've got a beer that's high enough in alcohol that can stand up to that. Is that what holds it? It's, yeah. It's the yeah. alcohol height. And then I mean, they're going to taste it along the way, so they can they're going to be like, it it's done. Right. We're, we're finished here. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. But also I wanted to mention that with the judging... 
requirements of this particular um, event, we have five different categories that they um, that they judge for. And what so, are they? Uh, barrel integration is one. So if you are not a fan of a lot of that, the oakiness or whatever is coming through, if you can say, you know what, their barrel integration was actually very well done. Mm-hmm. It is not my style. I don't like it. Like, I don't love it, well, but hardest, I can. That's the hardest part of mm-hmm. judging is you have to take your sure. opinion out of it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. What about, because for me, I, I love beer. Beer mm-hmm. is, but I really like it with food. And so yeah. it's how it pairs. Is there anything like that that's part of the competition? No, but because that changes the taste of the beer, and it changes what the food tastes like when you're drinking the beer. There's not. There is a. Um, do you? There's um, if a, a taste. So if you want, like one category is taste. Do you want to have another one? Mm-hmm. Are you excited to? Could you drink another one of these? Which I know isn't the same. Yeah, you think about but drinkability. Drinkability. You know I mean? drinkability. Yeah, if, if, somebody's, if somebody's putting a, a you know fifteen percent uh, bourbon barrel aged stout with you know marshmallows and chocolate and whatnot. You know, if it's if it's well balanced and and you know well done, great. But if all I'm tasting is just fourteen percent of alcohol, it doesn't there's matter. N- there's no right. there's no drinkability. I don't want to have another one. Okay, so how do people get in on this if you're not a judge? Tell us how people can join the event and what they what sort of fun they can have there. Yeah, so it is a ticketed event this year. We're doing a VIP hour mm-hmm. um, where you get the first. So from five thirty to six thirty, you are by yourselves. You get to meet and greet with the brewers and the brewery owners and their teams. You get to try the beers first. You have some. Some snacks to pair with the beers, um, a commemorative tasting glass, mm. and which is actually bigger than most. It's a 13 ounce glass, so you can actually because we when we were making it, we we're like no one uses these tasting glasses again, so we wanted to give something that people are going to use and mm-hmm. a T-shirt before the general admission, which is at 6:30, cool. and then the and judging ends the at 8:30. Can we say the date? Yeah, it's the 10th, September the 10th, 10th, September 10th at Boundary Stone. Yes, mm-hmm. and then if you don't want to buy a ticket, so the ticket gets you four tasters. I'm sorry, four ounce tasters mm-hmm. from all six. Breweries, um, plus that seems really generous. That's all, plus that's a free a beer, beer. A from beer. a free pour for from three stars since they were the winners from last year. Mm-hmm. A very four four percent little right. guy after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello, ABV. And then yeah, yeah. Uber home. So um, let's make sure everybody knows where Boundary Stone is too. Yes. Is at one sixteen Rhode Island Avenue Northwest. Okay, right. go to your website and also go to the list to get all the details. details. And Correct, and you can get. You're yeah. drinking beer right now and forget. Yeah, yeah. there's a link to the ticket site, and you can. Yeah, all right, cool. Thank you guys for coming yeah, in. That was thank super cool. Yeah. Right, Pleasure. Another great event. If you are drinking a gin and tonic, then you're right in sync with. Uh, We're drinking gin and tonic. The guys from Olivia. So, okay, so yes. Tim, this is. I, I know what you said when we last talked that we're going. We're getting right. heavier and heavier More, and heavier. heavier. And, yeah, and that is absolutely the case with this one. So right. tell us a little bit about what we're drinking. So uh, we have done a house made tonic. Um, basically, we're dehydrating um, basil, cilantro, making it into a powder. And then um, we're cooking it also with a lot of citrus zest, it's cooking it down. Uh, and then we're using Raza Honut, which is a Moroccan spice, head of the shop, which is uh, pretty much uh, in all spice, if you will, but lots of complexity going on there. Um, that smells great. Putting that under pressure and that's, so cooking it down, cooling it, putting it in a canister under pressure, foams out with, um, this is a Spanish gin. So the Spanish gin is um, distilling olives, thyme, rosemary, and basil. Mm. 
So there's a lot going on there. But um, savory, we were talking about integration. So you're not really tasting just one thing. You're tasting that a, is a, a combination. That's delicious. Yes. It tastes... A- I want to say it tastes medicinal, but I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, it no. Tastes I mean, well, that's how gin. That's how healthy. gin came about anyway. That's I mean, right. it was it was it was no, you know used long no, long no. ago for stomach ailments. Didn't and they mix gin with quinine in India? They did, right? Yeah. The the, well, the the tonic, right, yes. But- Gin is not made with quinine. Right. No, it's no, the no, tonics. No, that, the, the, it's it's, it's, made, a, it's a natural, natural preservative. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah. But now tonics are evolving. Gin's evolving. So there's endless combinations of what's going on. All right. So tell everybody where they can find you at Olivia and what they can find at the So bar, we are right across the street from the Portrait Gallery and the Hotel Monaco. We're right near the um, Chinatown Metro, mm-hmm. um, right on the corner of F and 8th. Um, this well, I'll continue this gin program throughout September. Great, since it's been very well received. If we come find you, will you line these up? And oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Remember these combinations, but you can do do your own as well. Excellent. So that's Delicious. the fun. All right, Great. guys, thanks very much. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. All right, so uh, just very briefly, I want to let everybody know about a great event coming up on October fifth. Uh, Mick Paw is the organization that raises funds to support the Montgomery County Animal Shelter, the new one out on Moncaster Mill Road. And McPaw is doing a a fundraiser on the 5th at the Bolger Center. It's called Animal House. It's a 60s-style upscale frat party with Junior Klein and the recliners and a great uh, barbecue and raw bar set up. No sit-down, stayed dinner for this uh, with a great uh, auction, live auction and and, uh, silent auction. And I hope you guys will come because all the money, all the proceeds go to support uh, lost, abandoned, and abused animals that are helped by the shelter. Just go to org, And everything else you heard about on the show today, you can find on Nikki's website, thelistoryouwantit.com, and follow her on Instagram and on WTOP. Mm-hmm. And Facebook and Twitter at Nikki Nellis, N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. I also want to give a shout out to Chefs for Equality because tickets are selling out and that is on October 22nd. Every year we get together with the HRC to raise funds for uh, the LBGTQ community and it is a baller event and you would be remiss not to be there because there Did are- Did you just say baller? I did. Look at 600 you. 600 people at the National Cathedral with every chef- She doesn't even know what that means. But... Stop talking. I'm Mixologist in the community. So uh, we want to thank all of our guests for joining us in studio today. Needless to say, you have a lot of drinking and eating to do out there. Um, look for everything on the list. Are you on Because it's all in there. And we will not see you next week because it's Labor Day. But we'll be back the following week. And you can bet it'll be delicious. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>